Okay, I have to tell you something first. Uh, tell tell it to me. I thought Phil Spector was already dead. I thought he was too. <laughs> and I'll tell you what. I'm a. I'm a. I, I did a sixth grade book report on the book Wall of Pain about Phil Spector. Did you really? I did. I don't know why I did, but I. My dad had it. I do not have the book anymore. Damn. But I remember being like, "Damn, this guy's fucked up." I think I, th- I assumed that when. <laughs> Did you see the Al Pacino, the like clips of Al Pacino playing Phil Spector for the like HBO TV no. movie? They made. I didn't even know they made a TV movie about it. Yeah, I assumed when that happened that he was dead. I, I it's I, I so okay. Killing the wife and also like viciously abusing Ronnie Spector for years is bad. Or not the wife, the actress. I get that. All that is bad, <laughs> but it's also kind of cool. He almost shot the Ramones. Like if I I don't know if he had shot Johnny Ramone like what what would the world weep that'd be great Johnny Ramone was an asshole, um but yeah you know he uh you you listen to this. I remember being in sixth grade and being like wow okay so his first like the first single that by the Teddy Bears you know to know him is to love him like his first big thing it's like the production's supposed to be so great and I was like I turned it on I'm like this is awful this is god awful guys who are really into producers no disrespect Jan Chomsky if this is you guys who are really into producers I'm like. These guys are so hit and miss. Some of the records sound good. Some of them sound bad. I don't know. You know, oh, you're layering it. You know what layering is? It's just say, putting the same thing over and over. Okay. We, you know what I call that? Duplicating. Listen, Young Chomsky, double track me right here. Brace, Brace Belden. Look at that. No fucking skill whatsoever. Young Chomsky, you're doing nothing back there. You're just duplicating. <laughs> Dad of COVID. In prison? Yeah. You know what they should do if they're like, okay, well, he killed somebody, but he's really old? Just break his arms because they won't heal again. What? Because he's, well, so he's, Phil Spector's old as fuck. Oh, he's dead, but like. Oh, you mean because of like osteoporosis? No, but just, I don't know. Old people with brittle bones. You never broke an old person's arm? Like by accident? I feel like Joe Biden absolutely could die of like heat of falling. Oh, are you kidding me? That guy looks like he has such a strong internal ecosystem. <laughs> How many do you think that he has like big bones? <laughs> I don't know if I want to use this. I feel stupid. <laughs> no, his body's filled with like those big dog bone bones. No. I think it's, he's got he's got a fake hip. A stronger hip. Oh, I'm sorry. They take out the shitty human hip and put in yeah, a metal one. Yeah, he's human. Our first yeah? post human president. Well, Trump, Trump, so both of them are pretty strong because Trump has the thing where if you punch him, it's like if you punch a seal, the blubber mm. won't, it won't yeah, yeah, heal yeah. a punch for like a few days. Right. If you socked Trump in the stomach, you know, three days later, he's mm. fucking texting, he's feel oh. Yeah, Trump's got brittle bones, but like a wall of like very thick blubber that can mm-hmm. protect against like a nuclear Basically anything. blast. Yeah, you like he could be shot on Fifth Avenue and wouldn't feel it till Eighth Avenue. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like it's impenetrable. Yeah. Whereas Respect. flip side, Biden, mm-hmm. transparent skin like a chicken. Yeah, yeah. Thick as hell bones. Exact. Huge bo- Most of the body is bone. 
He's actually even got a dick like bone. Like a tree trunk. He's just, yeah, it's just exactly, like a trunk of exactly. bones on the That's inside. how they always got to keep him moving because if he stands in one place too long, it'll just it'll grow too big and he won't be able to move. But Hello. what I'm saying is they should break people's, if they're trying to like, if they're like, if you're still really into prison, but you're like, okay, we should let people out, just break their arms if they're old because then they can't murder anyone anymore. Hi, I'm Brace. That literally is what Biden said about shooting people in the leg and the cops should just shoot people in the leg. Remember? Well, no, so criminals should too because if you shoot someone in the leg, it's not even attempted murder. Did you know that? Wait, that if that you true? shoot someone below the weight, yeah, it's not attempted murder. This is yeah. not a legal advice. I'm just saying. <laughs> this is just something. This is a little bit of street knowledge Brace picked up in the tenderloin. You shoot someone in the leg, it's just it's not attempted murder. It's just like a soul with a deadly weapon or something. Hello, everyone. I'm Liz. I am Brace. I already said that. We've got. We are joined by producer Young Chomsky. And this is true, not hello. <laughs> a little delayed reaction. See that that music? We call that the. Uh, we call that skipping a beat. Oh. Okay. Um, we have an interview today with Marlon Etinger about, uh, I don't know why I said his name in the French way, but he's from France. Uh, or no, he's not actually from France. We're interviewing him while he's in France, where he lives. Uh, but as you can see, he has an American accent. Anyways, uh, yeah, we, are, we have an episode today about our good old friend Jean-Luc Brunel, because I do think it's important to note that a lot of attention obviously paid to Glenn Maxwell. Brunel is the other important figure in this, the only other one that is in any type of custody. Um, so I do think it is an important subject to broach. Talk a little bit about the modeling world of the nineties. We talk about some of the other characters involved in this. Anyways, it's a, it's a, it's a good interview and, uh, let's start it right now. just start now welcome to the inside the interviewer studio uh, we have with us independent researcher friend of the pod and man living in france marlon ettinger marlon how you doing good brace how are you hello liz how are you guys i'm in a basement good, good. we're hello. doing <laughs> we're all in basements we're all oh, in yeah. our own bunkers the, yeah the window you see behind me is is painted <laughs> on for it's purely it's to yeah. you know, boost serotonin both and physically stuff like and both physically and uh theoretically yes or psychologically i don't know right. where i'm going with this some buzzword so <laughs> marlon we have brought you here uh to this undisclosed location today to talk about a subject that you and i have been corresponding about quite uh quite a bit I, that sentence didn't wasn't really constructed very well. We've been talking about a lot for kind of a while. Uh, one Jean Luc Brunel and sort of the French side of the Epstein case. And uh, real quick, how did you come to kind of get involved in researching this stuff? Yeah, well, it obviously started with Epstein. That started about five or six years ago when I first heard about the guy. It was on Porkins Policy Radio, Pierce Redmond's podcast, and on Ed Opperman. Classic. Ed Offerman has been on here a few times. And so I started just, you know, digging into all that stuff and all the Epstein stuff and the depositions and Virginia Dufresne and the court cases, all the civil cases. And, you know, part of what I noticed was Epstein had a lot of links to France. And then when he was arrested, the last time he would 
the last place he had been free, he flew in from Paris to Teterboro Airport in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. And so there was definitely this French connection. And uh, over the past couple of years, I've moved around a bunch. I spent some time in France in 2018, and now I'm living here more. And I decided to take the opportunity to really sort of dig into the French angle as my French improved a lot. Also, I was able to read all the reporting here. And I think the first time I heard about Brunel was in the deposition that Virginia Giffray gives about, you know, Jean-Luc Brunel coming to these parties with Jeffrey Epstein. They would have, you know, girls in the pool and talking about how Jean-Luc Brunel had trafficked, you know, thousands of girls to mm-hmm. Epstein and how Brunel himself, because, you know, Jeff- Virginia Giffray says that Brunel, you know, raped her. She was trafficked to him on multiple occasions. And, you know, then I was like, well, I have to find out more about this Jean-Luc Brunel guy. And he's, when you think about it, you, you hear th- really three names when you, or maybe four when you talk about Jeff Epstein. There's Ghislaine Maxwell, of course. There's Jean-Luc Brunel and there's Les, Les Wexner. But Jean-Luc Brunel was an, you know, he played an integral role in the network that Jeffrey Epstein mm-hmm. had, you know, grew. So that's how I got interested in him. And he was recently arrested. I mean, we should mention that, you know, before we get into this, that that um, he has been apprehended by the French. Right before Christmas. And what it, yeah, um, which we talked about a little bit on, on the show, but... You mentioned that you've been privy, you know, living in France, you've been privy to all of their reporting on it and the kind of like French side. And we don't really get, I mean, some of that trickles over to the States, Mm -hmm. but unless you're like a French speaker or, um, you know, really know where to look in like which French outlets are reporting on this, it can be pretty difficult, I think, for Americans um, on their own to like really read a lot of that stuff. Yeah, I mean, most of the reporting started in a publication called Media Part, which is an online uh, publication. Yep. They've done a bunch of reporting, and another one called Vent Minute has done most of the a lot of the reporting that I've read. As far as I know, not the the mm. full longer stories. Um, but yeah, as you mentioned, he got arrested right before Christmas, and he is in custody. So France is now the only other country aside from the United States that has any Epstein associates in custody. And he is in custody. There is going to be a, a formal investigation. You know, he was placed under a 48-hour hold, and then it got extended. So he's still in custody right now. Wait, so can you explain? I mean, I just have some questions about that. Can you explain? Because I don't know that much about, like, the French legal system, like how that works. So he's in custody before an investigation or there'll be a trial or we don't know yet. Right, It's like leading up to a trial, the investigation, obviously mm. they've been investigating this for about a year back in, well, mm. I guess a little longer back in 2019. Um, after uh, Epstein got arrested, they announced they were going to have a preliminary investigation and it's handled by this office called the office, the central office, the repression of violence against persons, which handles sex crimes in France. And they picked him up. And they had 48 hours to basically prove to a judge that they're not just holding him frivolously, that they have a case that they'll be able to build against him and eventually prosecute. So that's why he's now being held. But again, I don't know a ton about the French legal system. I'm not a lawyer, but 
That's basically how it works. I do think it's pretty notable because, you know, obviously a lot of attention has been paid to Ghislaine Maxwell being in, being imprisoned or, you know, in jail. And, but, but, but Jean-Luc himself was like an integral part of this. And there was, there was talk that he was trying to flee to Senegal. I know that he was arrested, I believe, at Charles de Gaulle Airport while trying to leave to Senegal. And sort of the general, you know, the, the, the rumor mill around that was that he was trying to get out of there so he could, you know, to, to avoid some kind of arrest. But, but when you and I talked the other day, apparently there's some other sort of uh, rumors or at least uh, explanations for this. Yeah, apparently it was more banal. You know, he's um, the French authorities have known where he's been this entire time. He was never actually missing. Um, Supposedly he was staying at his sister's house. Um, I'd heard at one point he'd been staying at a houseboat that might have been owned by his old drug dealer, but I'm not sure if that's true. Le Parisien, which is a Paris paper, (laughs) they uh, had an article about it a couple of days ago, and they said that what happened was the. The OV, the OCRVP, which is that office, had planned to arrest mm-hmm. him in January, but you know, near the end of the year, he decided to go first to Senegal for the New Year. He wanted to go to, to a party mm-hmm. in Dakar, that and then classic he was, Senegalese New Year. Right? <laughs> yeah, everyone knows. Go to Dakar for your New Year's. Yeah, 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 uh, festivities. Yeah, yeah. And then he was planning to go to Portugal to stay with some friends, um, but. The OCVRP, I'm just going to mess it up every time, I'm not going to keep checking. The ORCVP right. said w- they were worried that he wouldn't come back because, you know, he stay. He always goes on these long trips and never comes back. But apparently he actually was not trying to flee. He was just going on a trip, and they'd planned to arrest him in January anyway, so they wanted to make sure they would be able to do that. Yeah, I know he's kept a pretty low profile ever since Epstein got arrested. I think the last like official sighting of him was at some fancy party outside of Paris. And I mean, that was basically around the same time that Ghislaine was last sighted in public rather before her arrest, which was when she was in some fancy party in like Monaco or San Marino or one of those other countries that I'm not really sure technically qualify as city states, let's call them. We've talked a little bit about the show on the show about Brunel's like background in modeling. Um, you've been, you know, you've been really like looking into him for a long time. I feel like maybe you can give us more, a little bit more in depth. Um, but remind our listeners like who exactly we're talking about and like a little bit of his origin story as we get further into the man. Yeah, so we could go back to the beginning, which is a little murky. It's hard to find definite information like like it's hard to find his birth certificate even but Jean-Luc Brunel was born in 1946 in Paris and his father was big in real estate in Paris um mm. he has a brother Arnaud and he'll be important because he plays a role in some of his business and a sister who I don't actually even know her name. I've never found her name. Hmm. That's actually yeah, I I've tried to find her name a bunch of times, nothing. <laughs> nothing. Yeah. It's bizarre. Nothing. And anyway, so he really got started um, in public relations, actually, in the 60s. So Classic. Classic terrible guy move. He, his, well, guess what he called his agency? It was called Jean-Luc Relations Publiques. So just Jean-Luc Oof. Public Relations. Not a very Jesus. creative man. Yeah. And he, he got this start, um, you know, promoting restaurants and tours. He was always involved in... The, the hospitality business. 
So he, he got to start mm-hmm. doing that. And then, so he met this guy named Claude Terrell, um, and he he helped promote a three-star restaurant. He helped promote a motion picture by this guy named George Losey. I don't know who these people are. It's French George Lucas. Exactly. Yeah, he promoted Jean-Claude Killy, who was the 1968 Winter Olympic gold medalist skier. And he promoted the, the city of Vail, Colorado in France for tourism. Like, come to Vail, Colorado. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Vail Weird. is a big hotspot, you know. I've never heard so, of it, actually. Yeah. Really? I, me neither, yeah. no. Oh, I didn't yeah. even know that France had its own Colorado. No, no. no. <laughs> it's like a... It's like a second-tier Aspen. Yeah. And then he worked with the Finnish Ministry of Tourism also. And his he had like... Yeah. And anyway, then by 1975, he opened this restaurant in Ibiza called El yes. Mono Desnudo. If you don't speak Spanish, that means the naked monkey. Jesus. I assume every restaurant in Ibiza is like named some version of that, by the way. Th- this is a very <laughs> Senor Frog-esque kind of <laughs> restaurant-sounding place. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but actually, we'll go back a little before that, because before 1975, he met this guy named Claude Francois, and he was sort of known mm-hmm. for these magazines, Podium Magazine, Absolute Magazine, which was sort of arty, nudity and stuff, and... This was in the, the 70s. Claude Francois was kind of known. He was like a singer. He was sort of a known guy, yeah. but not that famous. And that's when he first got to start in modeling. He opened this, well, he ran this agency called Girls Models that Claude Francois opened. Yeah. Not, I will say, <laughs> Jean-Luc, not a great nose for names at this point yeah. in his life. Just Jean-Luc Public Relations and <laughs> Girls Models. Simple, clear. I mean, I guess it's to the it's to the point. Yeah, Yeah. can't get confused. And so this was a small modeling agency, and it's about here when he starts really getting up into the the stratosphere of modeling in Paris. Because after, excuse me, before I'd be say he joined Paris Planning, which was run by this guy named Francois Lano, who was a you know a prominent figure in the modeling world, and this guy named Gerard Marie, who is another mm. sleazebag agent. We should actually talk about him a little too because he's under investigation right Absolutely. now in France. Um, Gerard Murray worked there too, but Jean-Luc Brunel couldn't handle, um, you know, there being two big guys. So he said, you know, either mm. he quits or I quits and Murray didn't quit. Classic. So he quit and he joined Karen's Models, which you might have mm. heard of. Some people might have heard of. You've probably talked about it on the show. Yeah, we got it. We should pause here and we should talk about Karen. Um, I think for a good amount of time. We have talked a little bit about Karen, but actually not as much as, I mean, that is warranted at least. It's a real um, hotbed of horrible, horrible people and terrible stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Karen always seemed to me just like more, even more blatantly than a lot of the other modeling agencies, basically just a way for the owners to force young girls from various parts of the world to have sex with them and then uh, rip them off for rent and for, you know, modeling gigs and for pictures and all that kind of stuff. Jean-Luc was involved with Karen Models for quite a long time, I think. Oh, yeah. And he eventually became the head of Karen's Models, too. And it was yeah. his calling card when he when he made an agency in new york he opened karen's models of america he used the name still first yep um yeah so he was at karen's models in 1978 he became the head of it um 
1988. And at that point, he was just sort of cruising. He was top of his game. You know, he was considered charming by a lot of people um, and good looking. Mm -hmm. I know you mentioned on your last episode that Jean-Luc Brunel isn't good looking, but I don't think you understand the French eye. <laughs> they they find. Can you explain this to me? Because yeah. this man looks like a skinny, like a like. I'm not even using the racial slur frog here. He <laughs> literally looks like an amphibian. Like he's he's he's. Uh, there's a video of him dancing in a nightclub in that 60 minutes. I think it's the 60 minutes expose on on uh, American models in France, and it's mm-hmm. this like five four guy which you know all right for a guy like me that's pretty tall so he does have that in his in his you know in his back pocket but he's just like this tiny little frog flapping around like a like you know he's got an electric shock in him or something there's i i i mean i understand you know as somebody who is uh let's say more charming personally than physically i understand some of that but he does he just seems not even that charming personally either he's just like hey do this cocaine and also you have to have sex with me but right. from all accounts, people did like him. Yeah, it seems very typically French. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Cocaine, bad dancing, slight deformities. Mm-hmm. So he's cruising and he's booking models. He's discovering models whose names... I'm not someone very into fashion, so the names mean nothing to me. But, um, you know, he eventually, supposedly... Naomi Campbell, though that's disputed. Everyone everyone claims to yeah. discover Naomi Campbell. Um, but of course, it's interesting because Naomi Campbell is, you know, traveled with Epstein. So there's another little connection. Um, yeah, we've talked a lot about Naomi Campbell being um, possibly, allegedly, heavy, heavy on the alleged, um, implicated in some activities with Epstein, we'll say. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think, yeah, he, he makes claim to a lot of pretty big names that I'm not totally sure. I, I My sense is that a lot of modeling agents kind of say like, oh yeah, I, I'm the one who did that. I'm the one who did that. Because at some point, a lot of these young girls end up on the same kind of circuit. And so they, you know, I've seen like four or five guys um, claim that they, you know, uh, introduced like Christy Turlington to the world or whatever. But but um, yeah. Naomi Campbell is is kind of, you know, a big name there for him to... Certainly notable, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Naomi Campbell has another interesting connection. She was basically considered to be mentored by this guy named Azadine Alea, who's... Yeah, Alea. like clothes and bags. He's a huge name in fashion. Actually, he's... Yeah, he he recently passed away like two years ago. Three... Actually, not two years ago. I shouldn't say that. Recently passed away. Yeah, really big icon. Really important designer. Yeah, and he was... She was like his his protege. Um, And... This book I read in 1990 tells this sort of creepy story about this 15-year-old model named Nikki Taylor, um, Mm -hmm. like, changing in front of, like, all the designers. And the description is, like, with a doll-like face, full cheeks, and square-cut blonde hair, Nikki presents herself with the stylist, Azadine Elias. Modest and clumsy, she pulls her jeans down in front of the small assembly and in a petit beto slip, tangles her long legs up in a pantsuit. So, and L.A., of course, Horrible is in Epstein's Black Book, too, um, like many. Elias? Yeah, it's my also yeah. my yeah, translation yeah, yeah. from French. Yeah, yeah, Elia is in Epstein's mm. Black Book. Um, anyway, Bruno's at the top of his game, and then in 1988, 
he, well, two important things happen. He has his first little foray into America, but also there's that 60 Minutes expose that comes out that you mentioned, yes. uh, Brace. And this... The, the, the section about you know, him is, is on YouTube, it is, yeah. It's yeah, we've there. talked about this. We've mentioned this on the show a lot, or when we've talked about John Luke Brunel, and a lot of people have brought it up as well about how crazy it is that you can sit that like one of Epstein's major associates has literally been accused of rape, and there's a TV like there's a whole TV show about it since like the '80s, <laughs> and it, it's sort of like everyone seems to really like kind of um, you know latch onto this because it is pretty crazy, no? Of course, yeah. 88, there was CBS. In 1990, this book, The Secret World of Models, you know, made allusions to it. 1995, Michael Gross's book, Model, talks about it. 1999, there was some mm -hmm. BBC expose. So it's 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 not new. And I got sort of depressed actually reading that book from 95 because like, oh my God, you know, we all it's, knew. Yeah, I, I've read, I have a copy of it. I've read part of it. And it is really, really depressing. I mean, all of these guys were total fucking sickos. Like from, from John Casablancas to Gerard Marie, all these fucking guys. Yeah. And anyway, so that if you haven't seen that expose yet, basically it exposed that two modeling agents, Jean-Luc Brunel from Karen's Models and Claude Haddad at Europlanning were sleeping mm -hmm. with young underage models and, or they were also drugging them. You know, Jean-Luc Brunel had a predilection for drugging uh, models and then raping them. Um, and Jean-Luc Brunel doesn't appear in that, except for footage, like the dancing, or he wouldn't be interviewed. But Claude yeah. Haddad would be interviewed. And Claude Haddad is really interesting, too, because he, after this, he went to work for Karen's models, because he had to leave Europlanning. Yeah. So he went, then went to work for Brunel. And Haddad, he tried to defend himself, you know. Uh, he couldn't say how many girls he slept with. They asked him if he slept with minors. He said he couldn't remember. And he said, I, oh, I plead guilty of loving women and letting myself be tempted, you know. Yeah. Um, all this stuff. I mean, that's how all these guys talk. You know, like I, I watched this really hagiographic documentary about John Casablancas the other night called The Man Who Loved Women. And mm. it's it's him basically talking, and you know they're like, we locked John Casablancas in a room for three days and just had him tell his life story. It's like, and, you know, he totally glosses over the rape scandals at Elite Models. You know, he he makes it sound like he was just this sort of like French, the, the, the Spanish paramour on the French Riviera who was just sleeping with these beautiful women because they loved him. He was handsome. It's like, buddy, after you grew the mustache, you look like shit. You know, it's it's it, there's nothing going on there, and and and. and I mean, all of these guys, you know, really allied the like or allude rather the fact that they were exploiting people who work for them by claiming that they just loved the girls. Wait, Brace, can you explain to our listeners in case they don't know who John Casablancas is? John Casablancas is the founder of the city of Casablanca, uh, which is <laughs> famous for being in a movie. No, uh, John Casablancas was the son of uh, you know, rich Spaniards who left Spain in the 30s moved to France, uh, Casablancas, just like a lot of these other assholes, tries his hand in like, you know, public, I think it was like public relations. I know he worked for Coca-Cola for a while and, uh, and then essentially started like the concept or claims. I don't fucking know. Again, 
my only experience with models is, you know, well, let's just, it's not in the general sense. Uh, but, uh, he basically started the concept of a supermodel and elite, elite models, you know, had just had this really small core group of very famous women that he, uh, fucked. And, you know, he, I think he, he I think he had Gerald Marie working there for a sec, uh, or I think he was his second in command for a while. Uh, you know, there was some sort of rape scandal there, which, you know, duh. And then also that's coming, coming up in the news again. And, and uh, yeah, basically also gave birth to the guy from the strokes. So the guy from the strokes is John Casablanca's son, which I'll be honest with you. I did not know that. I thought yeah. it was just like, uh, he took the last name cause it sounded cool, but no, I guess <laughs> it's his child. There's a very cool photo I showed Bruce the other day of a very small, Julian Casablancas at some dinner party in the background and you can just see him and he has like a little name tag that says Julian Casablancas. He must be like 11 or 12 or something. And right in front of him at a banquet table is Donald Trump and like a very sm- a young, very small Ivanka <laughs> sitting next hmm. to him. It's a very funny photo. Yeah, I mean, Ivanka worked for Julian Casablancas and Trump loved elite models. He modeled his own agency after Casablancas's. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, they they had a lot, and he's he's also featured quite prominently in the documentary and a few scenes. Back to that expose, you know, what was the actual effect of it? Um, basically, this woman named Aline Ford, who owned Ford Models, which was mm. this considered this prestigious sort of patrician modeling agency, you know, a modeling agency with class. They protected their girls. She had to sort of disavow him on television and say, oh, I had no idea he was doing anything. I was fooled by him. I thought he was such a nice young man. He came from a good family. Um, I never heard any of this. Um, and Aline Ford is interesting because um, according to this book from 1990, The Secret World of Models, it's a French book. It's like Mankin à Contre-Jour. It's called. Um, that was bullshit. Um, you know, everyone knew what Jean-Luc Brunel was doing. Aline Ford knew. She just didn't like being caught, allegedly. And they, they But they say something interesting here because they say that um, this Canadian model testified to, well, she told the author, quote, he went everywhere in Ford's agencies except castings and bookings. And those of us who were put up at his palace were also brought to parties. Um, then, she, and then she accuses Aline Ford of being a tyrant. And Aline Ford's a really interesting character because she, came, she didn't start out in Paris. She's an American woman. And yeah. she sort of exemplifies how modeling came to Europe and how it became what it became. You know, the supermodels and the very high paid and the young girls, because she'd bring young girls over because parents would trust their children with Mm -hmm. her because she had a respectable sort of um, demeanor. And she did protect some people. And here's the other thing about this whole thing. It's always the, you know, it's never the superstars um well it sometimes is but it's never the superstars really you don't someone said i forget who you know you, you don't damage good merchandise right they get 
they they target the models who aren't going to be successful, the models who aren't working mm-hmm. much, the models who don't right. really have a shot of ever making it, but they just keep them around for for fun. Right, right, right. That was always, I mean, whenever Epstein, you know, I mean, allegedly Epstein would, um, you know, say that he could get girls in with Victoria's Secret, et cetera, et cetera. Obviously, the girls that he was, you know, approaching were never going to be Victoria's Secret angels. Like, he wasn't going up to the, I mean, what you call the, like, top of the top or whatever. And because that's not, you know, that's that's not how, um, yeah, like you say, that's not how that works. And like I said, back then they knew. Even this book in 1990, it has this really interesting quote. Um, they mentioned Jean-Luc Vernello didn't sue CBS for defamation. And then they go, evil tongues claimed that he was protected, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> back in 1990. Jesus. Yeah. I mean, it, he, he was essentially. I mean, everybody knew about this stuff. And the, the thing is... I, my take on the modeling world, because I, you know, I've, I've read a lot about it at this point, and you know, obviously, that's not a world I'm intimately familiar with in the first place. But it does seem that every single guy involved in this, and most of the women too, were basically engaged in two things. Well, three things really. At one, human trafficking, especially post '90s when when the Eastern Bloc open up, opens up to them. Mm. B. Uh, basically sexual exploitation of women, whether, you know, pimping them out to their friends or to clients, and then see just regular exploitation of these girls. Because, you know, like we talked about in the last episode about this, they'd bring these girls over from America, charge them 900 bucks a month to live in like some squalid Parisian apartment with eight other girls, you know, charge them for all their headshots, charge them for, you know, they, it would it would make it seem like they would take care of them, but then they would basically rip off maybe 80, 90% of the money that they made out there or make them go into debt. Oh, yeah. And that'd be 900 per girl and there'd be like five girls in an apartment and this is in the 1990s, you know. They were pulling in huge amounts. Um, Yeah. So, what was the effect? Jean-Luc Brunel, three months later, nothing had actually changed. You know, he went to the US briefly, but then he came back. You know, he came back to Europe and he, he came back to Karen's and... He didn't have to leave until 1999, really, when this BBC documentary by this guy named Donald McIntyre came out that revealed mm-hmm. some similar stuff. Um, but actually, I can't find that documentary. That's another one that's missing from the internet. I, I can't find it either. Yeah, yeah I've looked searched. for it too. Yeah, yeah very difficult to find. In the meantime, Jean-Luc Brunel is back working like it never happened. And Claude Haddad... He goes and he works for Karen's Models in 96 and he's going scouting in Yugoslavia because at this whole time, mm-hmm. the East, well, just like you mentioned, the Eastern Bloc was starting to open up and they would go and they would have these castings and they'd have these contests and they would bring the, the cream of the crop back to Western Europe. And Jean-Luc Renault was doing that too, even in this book from 1990, he'd already started scouting, going on these scouting trips in Yugoslavia. And I don't know this for certain, but do we all know who Nadia Marcinkova is, right? Yeah, She's of course. This, yeah, Epstein's, Epstein's sex slave and pilot. Well, she didn't function as his pilot, but she was a pilot. Right. And supposed to be procured from Yugoslavia. You know, according to some accounts, she was bought from her parents in Yugoslavia. And so when I read that Jean-Luc Brunel was scouting in Yugoslavia in the 90s, you know, it immediately clicked to me, you know, there could be some truth to that. Because yeah. another thing this book mentions that 
what often would be negotiated between parents and modeling agents would be this bounty fee. You know, like the parents would be reticent about sending their, deservedly so, about sending their daughters to go model. But after they got this bounty fee, they would open up to it. So when they say that she was bought, it might not have been a direct purchase, but that might have been what they were referring to, these bounties. Because she was brought over as a model. Yeah. I was reading contemporary articles. I think there's one in the L.A. It's either L.A. or New York Times about uh, basically model scouting in Romania uh, in, in the early 90s. And, you know, it's, it's got these interviews with these women being like, yeah, you know, like we, we go to these, you know, modeling. We have these modeling competitions like six times a year. And, you know, we bring over basically like we have parents begging us to take their children. We have, you know, sometimes we have to pay the parents. I mean, it's really it's it's it's. It's sort of insane because, you know, there's, it's not like there's a huge community for these women to get into when they go to Paris. You know, they're basically thrust into apartments with people that they've never met who maybe don't speak the same language as them. And then someone takes all their money and then makes them, you know, basically do whatever they want. And then I'll jump back a couple of years because the next part of his story is how he is America. You know, he had this career in Paris and then... But uh, he didn't meet Epstein in Paris, as far as we know. He met Epstein through Ghislaine Maxwell, of course, because him and mm-hmm. uh, Maxwell were friends. Supposedly they met in the 80s. I don't really know the circumstances of how they met. Uh, apparently, maybe via Ghislaine's dad, too. But it, yeah, it's super unclear. I've yeah, heard it's that. Like super, I, we didn't even know that they were friends until we read it in the French press. Or that they, had, that, you know, they were the original connection, basically. Um, yeah. So that's all... That, that, you know, seems to be very under-investigated. It was probably in the context of... Ghislaine Maxwell used to always go to the the big fashion shows with her father in Paris. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She was yeah, a yeah, fixture, yeah. fixture there. So I have no doubt they met in some context there. Um, but anyway, you know, he started moving first into the U.S. in 1988. That was his brief foray after the expose. And with his brother, Arnaud Brunel... He founded Next Management Corporation. Um, mm-hmm. And he founded it with this woman named Faith Cates. Um, and him and Arnaud both had 25% of the company. So they were definitely had a stake in it. You know, later they would claim that they never really had a role, but they did have a role. Um, because there was some dispute in the agency where Brunel was trying to poach models from next management for mc2 which is really yeah. where epstein comes into the question um and this was after he had to quit europe in 99 that epstein really comes into the question because this was really when brunel's name started to he had a bad reputation among some people he had 88 he had all the rumors that he drugged girls that he was a predator but it wasn't really sinking in people would act shocked and then it would disappear but it started to sink in after the uh, probably i don't know the 40th time <laughs> you know it finally <laughs> got the picture and he moves to new york and he opens mc2 in miami and arno Brunel is also involved in this and he also got the financing from a guy named etienne de Roy. etienne de Roy was a longtime financier of Brunel. you know back in 1990 He's listed as his business partner um, for his modeling agency still. 
And he's a guy who's also a little murky. You know, supposedly he has involved in real estate, like Brunel's father. And he might have some connections to the French aristocracy. And, yeah, but he's also, he's just a money guy who it's not much is known about. Um, yeah. And then Epstein comes into the picture with his million-dollar line of credit, his famous million-dollar line of credit. And it's actually a really successful agency, MC2. It manages to yeah. open... Offices all over the world. New York, Miami, Tel Aviv. They have all sorts of... Of course, of... Tel Aviv. Let's not... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And actually, it's still open in Tel Aviv, I think. Or at least the website is still up for Tel Aviv. Of course it is. It, the yeah. website doesn't work very well. I did email it, and I have not received a response. <laughs> <laughs> well, what did you ask? <laughs> you guys still open? I can't, I can't remember. This was a while ago. Yeah, let's talk about Latin America, too. Um, this is also in the context of these contests that he would hold in Yugoslavia. He became really big into scouting all over the world. He was a global mannequin agent. Um, and so he started Latin model pageants in in Latin America. And he had held contests in Ecuador, Brazil, Argentina, and Chile. In 1987, there was this event called the Latin Model of the World event, which was a huge event. It has like, I think it says 400 million television viewers worldwide. Mm. And Brunel was Jesus the mastermind Christ. behind this. Um, it's very reminiscent of Trump and um, whatever, Miss America. Is it Miss America or is it Miss Universe? I can't remember. Or is it Miss... They all, there's like one that's like the real one and then there's one that's the Trump one and I can't remember which one yeah. it is. I think Miss America, but I don't quote me on that. Yeah. Um, and so he had this brewing throughout the 80s and 90s. And then once he had to leave um, Europe, this became a big thing for him. Um, he started this new modeling contest called Models New Generation in 2004 mm -hmm. that took place in Guayaquil, Ecuador. And then, you know, he sat on panels for lots of contests. And, you know, he cried the winner was a 15-year-old model, Aline Weber. And then he got a lot of commercial contracts because in addition to just doing modeling, he did, tried to get into commercial casting, so casting for advertising, and also uh, talent management he even got involved in. And the clientele he had for this stuff, you know, was like Nordstrom, you know, big, 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 big clientele. Yeah. And they eventually, they were, this relationship was so close that these, like Nord's, I think it was the CEO, not the CEO, but like the managing president of Nordstrom endorsed him for his visa as recently as 2014, you know, because Bruno had the O1 visa, which is another interesting thing. The O1 is for extraordinary achievement in a... Really? Yeah. Um, it's like... You know, when you're reading through the application, it says, like, you can get it for winning an Oscar or a Grammy or, you know. Jesus. Um, and that was... Or being really good at model scouting. Or being, yeah, he has, I think, like, on his application, it's something like a a high talent in the art of, you know, man modeling publicity and 
uh, scouting. So he comes to New York first, and he where does he get an apartment? Trump Tower. Um, of course. And he becomes friends with um, Donald Trump, according to this photographer. Um, Michael Clayton, I believe his name was, he's quoted in an article in 20 Minutes. And him, Donald Trump, and Paolo Zampelli, you know this guy, right? Very yeah, Zampoli, Zampoli. Yeah, he's course. my favorite. They become good friends. And so they're like this, they're the scourge of the nightlife. You know, they're going, picking up models everywhere, running around, being a nuisance. And Zampoli at that time was a modeling agent. Um, that's how they know each other. Zampoli was big in Milan. Actually, Zampoli was the guy who managed Melania Trump and later introduced yes. Melania to Donald. Mm-hmm. In fact, he got really upset when people were alleging that Epstein was the one that introduced them. He, in fact, made a point to correct the record, which I thought was right. very funny. <laughs> and of course, there are allegations about Melania Trump as well, but they sue people who say those allegations. We'll just say that there are allegations. Yeah, there were allegations made by the Daily Mail in case people were in are interested in looking into those allegations. Those untrue allegations that were made by the Daily Mail that they had to take back. It's an interesting historical record. Yeah, it is total bullshit and fabrication. You should look it up just to show what a liar and a thief really of truth, because that's what a liar is. It's a truth thief. I would just say look it up. If you're interested in defamation case law, clear-cut case. Yes. Defamation. (laughs) Absolutely. And so at the same time as this is all happening... The modeling world is changing also. You know, Jean-Luc Brunel came up in a time when the supermodel was the model. There was girls with names, and you knew their names, and they were huge. And on the covers, they'd have their names, and they yep. had a certain amount yeah. of power. Naomi Campbell, better time. Jerry Hall. But in the 90s, that started to change because of the Russian connection coming in, and also... A lot of financing fell through in Europe. There was a bunch of financial scandals in Paris over over who was financing modeling agencies, and it caused the industry to collapse a little bit. Um, But it was the anonymous model who then became the thing. The not, you know, particularly from Eastern Europe, from Russia, from Yugoslavia. Big Victoria's Secret had a big hand in that, actually. Oh, I haven't heard of that. What's that about? Well, I just mean the the nature of their business and the way they structured it and the way they kind of like. Um, made names for girls. They they were like a big major player in kind of proliferating that kind of um, that kind of like model type. I'd say. And of course, Victoria's Secret is owned by Les Wexner, the guy who got yep. Epstein's start. But yeah, in the, in the '90s, I mean, basically the market was flooded, and and that's how these like we should we should mention here too. Like that is how that these modeling heads talked about the girls. Like if you actually read like the way that they spoke about the women that, that worked for them. I mean, they will refer to them not not just as objects, but like directly to as products. Oftentimes also as flowers. That That's what they'll say too. It's like, oh, well, you know, they're flowers. You know, I just sniff the flowers sometimes. I don't touch the flowers. I don't pick them. I just sniff them. Yes, cultivate them. Uh, well, yeah, here, here's, here's some quotes. Jean-Luc Vernel, you know, says this in 1990 about models. They forget that as models, they're nothing but a marketing creation, a cog in the system. That In this profession, you have to constantly question yourself and above all, that you can be replaced very quickly. Um, mm-hmm. And Epstein would talk the same way. You know, he thought, you know, he was trying to come up with mathematical formulas for figuring out how to get the most women in the most yeah. time. 
Oh, you know what's funny? I'm just scrolling through my notes and I see Claude Haddad back in 1990 basically called modeling agents pimps. <laughs> he says it's yeah. easier to be a madame than a pimp. He literally says those words. Because there is sort of this porosity between the world of modeling and procuring. And even a respectable figure like Eileen Ford was sort of involved in this dynamic because she was known as being this matchmaker. She was the respectable one. And so she would set up her girls with rich men, which, you know, sounds nice. But in a sense, that's sort of almost procuring. It's just a a, a velvet glove yeah. form of that, you know? So even these moral exemplars are playing a role in this. I mean that that's how I've always sort of thought of this stuff. I mean it's the same thing with acting or or really any 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 business where you got to sell yourself like this or at least sell your body like this. Uh it, 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 there's there's you know there's these sides that we all sort of know and understand, you know, you got the girls on stage or you know there's actresses, you know, who are acting in movies and stuff like that, but sort of like the the people who don't quite make it or sometimes the people on the way up. I mean there is just like basically countless examples, and we've talked about this on the show before, of these people essentially being pimped out by their managers. And that's the weird sort of like dynamic here is a lot of times these managers or agents like, okay, yeah, they're trying to get these girls maybe jobs in, 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 you know, in shows or in whatever. Uh, but they're also maybe trying to set them up with rich people or really just anybody. And it's, it's yeah, like, like you said, it's a very porous line between like pimp and agent. Yeah, and there's always proximity to men of power, you know, in the in the world. There was an interesting little detail in uh, Michael Gross's book about model, how there was this early modeling agency with this guy named Harry Conover Jr., and it mentions that Bobby and Ted Kennedy always used to hang around the modeling agency, you know. Um, mm. So, there are, like, they were model hounds. They were known to be model hounds, specifically. Yeah. Sometimes with a car, even. <laughs> Sometimes with a car, yeah. Kennedy joke. Yeah, yeah. And then I don't know if you guys have heard of Candy Jones at all. No, who's no, that? She's this familiar. famous sort of old-fashioned model. She was known for her candy stripe overalls, big in like the 50s, a pinup girl, really. And she uh, played an interesting role in the modeling world because she later came to Paris after her career ended as a model and became one of the first agents. But she has this really weird story because at the end of her life she was married to this radio talk show host named John Nebel and she was hypnotized by him. And supposedly she started telling him that like she'd been recruited by the central intelligence agency and she had slept with all these generals and stuff on her USO tours, which could be true and could not be true, but she was definitely around. She's definitely around a lot of these powerful people. She knew generals and stuff just as a model. I mean, that's what's always been suggested about Marilyn Monroe, you know, if you want to talk about the Kennedys, like that, you know, she, she obviously knew what she was getting into, but also, you know, so did a lot of other people who, you know, wanted access to what she knew. Yeah, including a psychiatrist, perhaps. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, Marilyn Monroe death is, there's a lot to get into there. But, but, but to Brunel, so... Brunel is Brunel is now in America. He's kind of reinvented himself as this sort of like you know uh, part of the ancient regime of the of the modeling world. He's 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 now. It's weird because he's both supposed to be like the head of a modeling agency, but he's basically spending all his time as a model scout. Like he's going around to these different third world countries, and you know there, there's 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 that testimony uh, from from the bookkeeper Martiza 
where she talks about him having this woman in Brazil that he procures girls from. And so he's really, he's essentially at this point in his life, just running girls. Oh yeah. Throughout the world. And pretty explicitly. And I'm glad you brought up Martisa because her deposition is fascinating. She was deposed by Bradley Edwards, you know, the lawyer who's representing Virginia Dufresne and Maria Farmer and a lot of these, the victims of Epstein. And Martisa Vasquez was basically hired as like an accountant uh, initially by Karen's models. And she came over to the U.S. with them to New York. And she says it pretty clear, pretty clearly that, you know, they had young models housed in this apartment on was it 66th street um and they never and they never worked you know they never worked she mentions that like we had we had we were bringing them in on models visas you know that was part of her job to coordinate that in the office with a guy named louis font who's also now Mm -hmm. a lawyer down in miami i think still and his phone number is available online don't call it do not don't call it, but call I'm just it. saying if you look it up, you know, he is a member of the Florida Bar. You can you know yeah. you need a lawyer. Oh, this is really interesting. I I'm just looking at the deposition again and they mentioned the woman that they worked with in, in Paris was called Ruth. And I just made the connection that that's Ruth Marco. Ruth Marco was the head booker at Karen's Models. And she's always fastidiously claimed to know nothing about what was going on. When some of the stories in the French press came out in twenty nineteen of women coming forward to testify uh, to being raped by Jean-Luc Brunel. She said she was shocked about it. And in fact, um, Theshio Hoisman, who was one of the models who testified to it, she told me that Ruth Marco was like one of the first people to call um, her lawyer, Anacleo Lejeune, to like deny it. Like she got, she got in right above the ball, right on the ball. But of course, well, you this, interviewed Theshio, right? Yeah, I talked oh, so, to her. Sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I talked to her. She had a lot of very interesting things to say, including some rumors, which are interesting. But yeah, that'll that'll be Ruth Marco who's mentioned that in that deposition, who was helping get these models over here. So those apartments, that's at 301. I believe that's the address. He's 66th Street. Still owned by Mark Epstein, Jeffrey Epstein's brother. Um, yep. And again, they were doing that thing, like you said, they were they were charging them a ton and they were getting well beyond what it was worth. And they were never working, and they would party. Some girls come over. They they mention like names like Cindy Lopez. But yeah, that's about it. That's like the main part of of the deposition. She basically confirms that these girls just aren't working, and they're being procured, and they're being brought yeah. to parties. She said that actually to the Miami Herald at one point. The girls who weren't working would go to parties, and that's a common theme with these modeling agencies. Girls would be sent to these parties. They'd look at their calendar and there'd be no work, but there'd be, you have a dinner with this businessman, you have to go to this party, et cetera. And it would all be old businessmen. And supposedly they were business meetings, but there was never much business discussed. You know, this year Hoisman talks about uh, models mentioning that too. And some of the reporting from Mediapar. So you so you interviewed Thesia Horseman or you talked to Thesia Horseman. So can you explain to us who she is and kind of what you guys talked about? Yeah, so she's she was a Dutch model and you know when she was young she was she was raped by Jean-Luc Brunel. He he drugged her and raped her. And this was within a week of her coming to Paris and then she left immediately. Um so she was a model in Belgium first actually. She was 
and that's where Jean-Luc Brunel met her. He would always drive into Belgium and to scout new girls and her modeling agency, you know, gave her to him. The woman, you know, she was like, oh, Jean-Luc is really sweet. You'll be fine staying with him. You don't have anything to worry about. And then she goes to Jean-Luc Brunel's place and there's a bunch of other models there. She even mentions, you know, there were a lot of models from Russia, Yugoslavia, Czechoslovakia. And they were like, one of the things that's interesting is they were all younger than her. And she was 18 at the time. She was like, these girls were all younger than me. Um, and we'd go, and there'd be these parties with rich businessmen from Saudi Arabia. And this guy named Jean-Yves Lefeur, we'll get into him in a second. He was another French playboy. And she actually said she met Epstein there at one of the parties, she thinks. She's not sure, but it was a guy who looked like Epstein. He might have been at this party. And then Jean-Yves Lefeur was the ex-fiancé of the princess, Stephanie of Monaco. He's a, like a tabloid hound you know in france you know who he is if you read the tabloids and lady who was married to this supermodel called karen Mulder was another dutch model and she had this breakdown on live television in the early 2000s yeah she said she was was raped by yeah it's like a really big thing yeah 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 it was huge she said she was raped by gerald marie who was her agent and by prince albert um Mm -hmm. and then she was actually sent off to a psychiatric ward and Thesia yes. told me that she tried to track her down. Oh, like Thesia herself tried to track her down. Because she really wanted to talk to her, and she just she couldn't find her. So I don't know what's up with uh, Karen Mulder nowadays. It's interesting she mentions Prince Albert, because Thesia, you know, she said that she picked up the phone a couple of times when she was at Brunel's, you know, that rang. This was back when they had a landline, so someone had to pick it up. <laughs> and, you know, the guy, she answers, and she goes, oh, hey, it's, uh, Prin- it's, it's Albert. Goes, oh, who? I go, well, I, I want to talk to Jean-Luc Brunel. So he's not here right now. And so she tells him waiting here, and Brunel tells her, oh, yeah, that's Prince Albert. Like the Prince Albert? The Prince Albert of Monaco. And and she he called a few times, and she was only there for a week, and she mentioned that he called a few times. So obviously, Albert and Brunel were close. Yeah, so Thesia Huseman was one of the first ones to come forward publicly with this, you know, testifying about Jean-Luc Brunel doing to this to her. And I think since then, like, 12 people have come forward publicly. And mm-hmm. she was urged to do it by this NGO called Innocence en Danger, um, which sort of ha- has been raising the alarm about Epstein in France for a long time. They were the ones who, with a letter to the Equalities Minister, first got investigation to even be opened. And their lawyer, the Enclair Lejeune, who's the lawyer for a lot of the victims in France, uh, works with them as well. So she comes forward and she tells her story. And then there's a bunch of other uh, women who come forward and tell their stories. One is uh, Courtney Sorensen. Another, yeah, Courtney Sorensen is the one whose name I remember. And they all tell similar stories. A lot of them were drugged. They were out at a club. They came back to mm-hmm. his house, or they were, and then they don't really remember what happened, or they sort of remember what happened, but then they would wake up naked in bed, or you know, with their soreness between their legs, and these sorts of horrible stories. And there was some other testimony in the French press from like other young models telling these stories about these parties, you know, just sort of verifying these stories. There'd be powerful people at these parties there was one woman who was identified as like a, a, a 
big figure in French show business, but she was anonymous. And these stories were sort of per- percolating, and then they sort of died down for the last year. And supposedly the French police were at the at that office for the repression of violence against people were very communicative. According to Theisha, they would always respond to her, you know, even at when it seemed like nothing was really happening in the investigation. And they opened an email address to solicit testimonies because the the problem was with all these, these people who had come forward was that their stories were outside of the statute of limitations. So they couldn't be prosecuted. And so basically I think what the investigation has been trying to do is get something that's prosecutable within the statute of limitations. Yeah. And what actually provoked Same with the, the lane. Right, yeah. And and it's actually interesting the testimony that did make, you know, give basis for the current arrest was actually Virginia Jeffrey. She testified to the French authorities and I think it was from a in 2001 um when Brunel had she had been trafficked to Brunel that is sort of forming the basis for this. And, you know, they sent out emails to hundreds of models and they got dozens back. Um, and so now they're building this case. And since he got arrested, I think four more witnesses came forward to Enclair Lejeune. And so that's where we're at. There's this investigation and hopefully a court case will be coming up sometime soon. Are you planning on going? Or are these sort of things open to the public in France? I don't know the details, but if I'm here, I don't think it's anytime, it'll be anytime soon, in any case. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, the, the case against Ghislaine's taken a year to come to trial, so. I think August, right, for Ghislaine. Something like that, sometime in the summer. Well, closing out, are there any, what are like the sort of rumors that are swirling around? Because in America, obviously, our good friends of the New York Post and uh, and also across the pond in Britain at the Daily Mail and all those sort of things came out with quite a lot of rumors about Ghislaine Maxwell, Epstein, uh, Brunel. I mean, I, I, we talked about this the other day, but there was that cop, uh, in, it was maybe Mark Dugan, who was in fucking Russia, who claimed that Brunel and Ghislaine were hiding out at some resort in uh, in Brazil. Um, what what kind of things are you hearing in the French sort of uh, yellow press about about Brunel? One interesting thing I heard was that Brunel had been reported to the police like in 1979. Nathisha Oshman told me there was mm-hmm. this another model um, who mentioned this to her, um, like for sexual assaults. And also, supposedly, he would go with Gerard Marie to this castle out in the countryside, and they'd bring tons of models with them. And perhaps it was just debauchery they got up to, but I just I just picture this lightning struck castle yeah actually picture the ninth gate by roman polanski i don't know if you've seen that movie but there's um i have there's a satanic scene at the end with emmanuel senior and johnny depp while the castle was burning and yeah and then i mentioned that he might have been on this houseboat we were saying i don't know if that's true supposedly with his old coke dealer from the 80s was -hmm. supposedly putting him up he certainly loves his cocaine everyone agrees the man likes his cocaine Everything you read about him, it mentions that he has a taste for cocaine. Yes, yes. And he would just give girls vials. Yeah. And that's that. Yeah. Um, well, oh, okay. No, no, you go. do it. You do it. Try it. Try it. No, Get in the driver's seat. Okay, 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 Thanks. okay, okay. Well, Marlon, it has been a pleasure. Thank you for joining us. Despite uh, our Wi Fi delay here and our, our numerous technical issues, we finally sort of 
gotten the whole Brunel timeline out there. And there's there's one thing I wanted to mention too is is that is that Brunel apparently the rumor is he had to leave that restaurant in Ibiza because he was given 24 hours to leave the island uh, by some unnamed force there, which presumably connections to organized crime. Um, but, but if there's one thing I want to stress in this is that like these modeling agencies essentially function, like we mentioned as both pimps and traffickers. And you have these sort of like uh, respectable faces like Eileen Ford who try to keep a distance from it, but are really as involved with it as anybody else, except, you know, they're seen as, as, as less unsavory than somebody like Brunel and even people like Brunel, their careers were hardly damaged, just sort of. Uh, shifted by all of these numerous and 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 really decades long allegations against them. I mean, Gerald Marie right now is finally actually maybe somewhat facing a little bit of the music with a couple of rape allegations against him. And this guy, you know, he was he was like I mentioned the big number two at Elite Models for years. You know, worked very closely with John Casablanca, huge figure in the modeling world. You know, constantly accused of rape, and finally it's kind of coming home. We'll see what happens with any of this though. Yeah, we're sort of at the point with Gerald Marie, like we were with Brunel a year ago. An investigation has been opened. Hopefully they get something with it out within the statute of limitations. And the same thing happens. Yeah. yeah. And much like Brunel Marie's crimes are pretty much all out in the like everyone pretty much knows all about them. Yeah. <laughs> None of that's secret. Thank you so much, Marlon. Thank you, Liz. Brace. Well, we'll see you next time, baby. Out of pushing. So, Liz, tell the people what you are just telling me, because my mind is fucking, you got my mind all fucked up here. <laughs> no, we should, um, I mean, we could do a whole episode on it, and we probably should, um, which is the case of Karen Mulder. Um, we, you know, uh, Marlon mentioned her. She was a really, really big model in, I mean, she was a supermodel. There's that, uh, Brace, okay, I know you don't know a lot about modeling, but let me walk you through it. Have you seen, there's this very famous photo Maybe you've seen it, maybe you haven't, maybe some of our listeners have, even if they're not into fashion, of like all the Gianni Versace models from the 90s in a row. And they're all mm-hmm. wearing these like leather caps and mini skirts. It's this very famous, um, I think maybe it's Herb Ritz who took the photo. Uh, it's like a really, really famous photo. All right, I'm looking it up. Ver- Versace mini skirt pictures. Naomi's in it. Cindy, uh, Cindy Crawford, I think, is in it. Yeah, she's in it. I should pull it up, but it's like very famous. Anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. Stephanie Seymour, everyone. Okay. Anyway, so she's in that. So she's in this class of like major, major, like when we think of like the supermodels of mm-hmm. the 90s, like Karen Mulder is like in there. She's 5'10", Dutch, gorgeous, and she's a model with Elite. Um, super young. She's like on the runway everywhere, Versace, Armani, Calvin Klein, like whatever. Yeah. She uh, also guests. She was like a big, she was like the face of guests, right? Okay. Okay. So we mentioned Prince Albert. She, um, she starts dating him mm. and they, they like break up and Marlon, you know, he mentioned Lafer, right? He's mm-hmm. the one, uh, 
the he's the one who finds her after she like the first time that she note that I said that the first time that she tries to commit suicide by overdosing on pills. Mm-hmm. Marilyn Monroe style. Yes. So after so she uh, overdoses on pills. She's put she's in a coma. After which she comes out and she's like, I hate being a model. I hate I hate this whole thing. You guys don't understand. Like everyone tells me I'm fabulous. I'm not fabulous. I'm a piece of shit. All okay. I do is get pimped out. Like every like basically she comes out with this crazy story that's bas- that's pretty much been scrubbed. There was a sheet. Okay, sorry, you guys. I'm talking from memory. No, here. no, 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 baby. Go ahead. You're doing great. <laughs> I haven't like looked at a lot of this stuff in a long time. Um, but it's like, you know, I have like a little MK Ultra trigger when we talk about fashion and models. Mm-hmm. Um, but so she was like set to do this interview, I think, with the French press, like a TV interview. And what she said was considered like too libelous to to be shown and so all mention of it has been scrubbed but she basically said that elite that like elite management had pimped her out to politicians french politicians french rich guys like police everyone through like the the french you know bourgeois like you know pimped out drugged at sex parties clubs this whole thing it was it, it you know it's like a I mean, it was like an Epstein scandal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, she said that the agency is the one who got her on heroin. Um, she said, I don't know. It was like this whole thing. Then after her suicide attempt, they send her off to the hospital, like we said. Guess yeah. who pays for her hospital stay? Who? Gerald Murray. Classic. Yeah. So then she came out after she like quote unquote got better and she like recanted everything. Of course. And the said hospital, that it was I'm sure that the nice doctors talked to her. You know, you're just delusional, baby. You don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, she yeah, she totally recanted everything. I think she said something like she blamed it on early childhood sexual abuse and mm. that she was still dealing with that. And then there was something crazy that happened. She came back in the news in like the early 2000s um or like mid 2000s she was like arrested i don't know there was i I haven't looked at this in a long time but the case of karen Mulder is like is pretty um pretty famous and very very sad yeah yeah i mean it's it's this whole thing every time every time we talk about models on the show i get really bummed out because boy what a fucked industry and there's just like zero chance essentially for any reckoning within it because everybody profits from all the bad stuff that happens like that is the industry yeah it's It's, i watched showgirls last night too so i'm like yeah "Mm -hmm." the crushing of little girls for pretty much any reason is a tale is you know yeah. It makes the world turn, unfortunately. Yeah, it certainly fucking does. Well, Liz, on that pleasant note. <laughs> that being said, I do really love Showgirls, the movie. Great movie. I saw it for the first time last night. Say, <laughs> you know what? I, I was like, I don't think anybody in this movie is good. Well, the, like that's the, a good question. The makeup lady is okay. But then, I, I don't know. Are there supposed to be? Uh, Paul Verhoeven made it. It's not like exactly. he's making an art film. It's Verhoeven. Yeah. yeah. It, it, you know? Yeah, the case of Showgirls. That's, that's another interesting case that perhaps well, Drew and on should investigate. I, I, well, I'm just like, I, and I also, I can't tell if the main lady's hot. Mm. 
That I, the I dance struggled scene for is two very hours. Weird with oh, that's oh, very weird. For the, the Crystal, the main dance lady, or like the, yeah, the yeah, main yeah. one. She is. She looks like. I, I'm. T- I mean, she looks like a goddamn Martian. No. They all look like Martians in this movie. That's sort of the '90s look. She has the like '90s mama bear look, which mm-hmm. is the like that like you know kind of Lynchian brunette. Yes, it's like yes. very dark, you know, angled. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this was like a very '90s motif. Doesn't yeah. exist for brunettes anymore. Brunettes are a little bit different now. But then you know, no me. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the that's the tale as old as time. There, classic story. Classic story. I'm just like, but she's like also kind of evil. So, oh yeah, I like the scene where she angrily eats a cheeseburger on top yeah. of her corvette. She, she eats a lot of cheeseburgers. I didn't really understand the subplot with the black dude that she was dancing with. It's just to that, show us that, like, yeah, she was. Don't work it, out. I think that showed her like she was a real. She's real talented. Yeah, it wasn't just um, you know, what's his name? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, it's a, it's a, a great strange movie. film. What's Maybe funny is that afterwards, uh, from actually from what I remember, afterwards, everyone came out in defense of it because you know everyone it was like a huge flop. Yeah, and famously so. It was like, like the worst movie ever. Yeah, yeah. Even though it's like maybe the best movie ever, and then everyone came out afterwards and were like, "Uh, actually, we always knew it was supposed to be camp." So, it's satire. Yeah, yeah that yeah, was yeah, the yeah. whole thing. It's, it's satire. But I'm like, what are you satirizing? I mean, I do think it is. I think it's like pure camp for sure. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Anyway. A lot of titties. Oh yeah. Yeah. A lot of lot of lot of various. Las Vegas things. used to be kind of cool, you know. A lot of nipple pinching too. Like a like a probably the most in any like they don't make shows like movie. they used to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've 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 only been to I haven't really been to any shows. Me neither. Like that. I saw Andrew Dice Clay once. That's not really. I saw There's a video of Mariah out. Carey's Vegas show. Let me say, uh-huh. no, no, me Malone. Oh, she can't dance. No, they just picked her up and carried her everywhere because she's Incredible. so like aged now. Yeah, like a baby. Yeah, my friend. Yeah. I, I think I mentioned this on the show too, but my friend Matt had to do that with Jelby Afro once. He yeah, carried yeah. him from his house to his car like a baby. Mm. Well, when I get in my like fifties, I hope I have some kind of manservant to do that for me. Fifties. That's yeah. a very young phrase. I, I know, but that's why I'm, I'm shooting for it. You know, so, uh, all right, I, I'm confused here. I feel like getting carried like a baby is a sign of wealth and power. And uh, I don't and shooting for that so. in my 50s is bad now? I would do that in my 30s. I just like a man to sweep me off my feet. That's what I always say. That's what that phrase means. Like a baby. I'm Liz. My name is Baby Brace. We are joined by producer Phil Spector and uh, all assisted on the ones and twos by Young Chomsky. The podcast is called True or Not. We'll see you next time. Bye bye. Jeffrey Epstein. Jeffrey Epstein.